Hello, everyone, and welcome to the First Loved podcast. Last week, we talked about the Ten Commandments and how they are really, in fact, about love, mostly what love is not, what causes harm to God and what causes harm to our neighbor, and that ultimately they are given to us like the traffic laws so that we can enjoy relationship with God and with one another and especially avoid harming one another because harm is in fact, I think, as Paul said in Romans 13.10, that's the opposite of love, is harming. And we don't want to harm God and we don't want to harm our neighbor. And so we need to avoid those things. And also just talking about that God has always been the one who initiates love, who's always loved us first and who's cared about humanity from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation And that through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 sons, finally Moses, through the people of Israel, all of it has always been about God making a people for himself so that he could be seen and observed and experienced. And it would transform the way that we relate to one another in such a way that all those observing would go, wow, what is it about you people where there's joy and there's peace and there's forgiveness and there's abundance and blessing and How is your life so much better than ours? Help us understand. And so we would talk about the wonder of who God is. But mostly then focused on the words of the second command where, again, I want to read it to you, where he says, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, last time I chose to focus primarily on the fact that of those three words, jealous, hate, and love, And it still blows my mind that God is jealous for our love. And the fact that in the Ten Commandments, loving God, and especially showing it by keeping His commands, is in fact in the Ten Commands. And that we can show hate for Him by disobeying His commands and harming Him and harming others. But today what I wanted to focus on is specifically this one line that for many people has been very difficult to understand and know what to do with including me, for that matter, where he says, I am the Lord your God, or I the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand, and the commentaries say really it means um, innumerable generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. What do we do with that line, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me? For years, I used to just ignore it and (laughs) really not know what to do with it. But finally, I just had the opportunity to do some study, and I was going to put it in last week's, and I realized, no, it's too big of a topic while I was sharing with you, and so we decided to pick that up this time. What I want you to catch most of all is that even that, again, is so important and related to the love of God. Now, so often we don't like the idea or thought about punishment. We don't like the thought of somebody having to pay unless they've done something wrong to us. If we do wrong, we cry, mercy, mercy, 
But if someone else does wrong, we cry, justice, justice. Give them what they deserve, Lord. They should pay. See, there's something instinctive in us that says justice should happen. And I think at the root of justice, as I mentioned last time, even the root of anger, the root of justice is love. That when non-love, when harm takes place, anger is set off and says, no, 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 that's wrong. We got to do something about it to change it. And then justice gets triggered that says something should be done that restores things, makes things right. Yeah, it makes things right again. Oftentimes, I use the illustration of I've got two daughters, Julia and Charissa, and for years I've often talked about what if they were raped and they caught the perpetrator and the perpetrator is indeed found guilty. Well, all of that is well and good, but what all of us, what I would care most about or care about what would happen to my daughter is what's the penalty? See, the penalty is so important to us because it does two things. The penalty restores value, restores what was taken for the victim, and then it's supposed to cost the perpetrator in such a way that they are truly sorrowful, but most of all is that they change, that they are transformed. So, what if the judge says, yes, he's guilty, but generally he's a pretty nice guy, and so we're going to just give a week of community service? Well, imagine what that would mean to my daughter what it would mean to me in terms of the value of her life and what was taken from her, or the fact, would there be any hope for change in the perpetrator, right? A slap on the wrist, man, I'll do it over and over again if it means a week of community service, so what? The penalty matters. See, punishment matters because love matters. Harm matters to God and to us. In fact, that's the whole point of the cross is that Paul says it not only demonstrates God's love, Romans 5.8, but in Romans 3.25, he says it demonstrates his righteousness, his justice. See, in the cross, because you and I are both victims and perpetrators, it demonstrates love to us as perpetrators, but it demonstrates justice to us when we've been victimized. It matters that there's cost to the one who's harmed us because it says our life matters. It says that love matters and that harm matters and something should be done to fix it or correct it. So in light of that, as kind of the background, now you think about that troubling statement when he says, to those who hate me, those who disobey me, those who would disregard me and my commands and the things that would bring about peace and harmony and, and joy in relationship, not harm in relationship, It's important that the Lord says, oh, but I'm not saying it's no big deal when you harm each other. It's no big deal when you harm me, that it does matter and something should be done about it. Well, thankfully, at some point, the Lord led me to Numbers 14, where you really have this whole thing played out in very specific detail so that it gives us real understanding behind the heart of God. You see, in Numbers 14, it reaches this place where God himself says they have disregarded me, they have rebelled against me, they have held me in contempt, they doubt me. And in 14.22, it says that God says they have disobeyed me and tested me ten times, where some of the Old Testament scholars think that that has a lot more to do with an idiom, like we would say dozens of times, you know, that 
When God's saying 10 times, it's more likely not literal. But the fact that you've done this to me again and again and again and again and again, you just continue to disregard me, to doubt me, to question me, to hold me in contempt. And there's some point at which enough is enough. It would be God saying, I wouldn't value myself if I don't do something. And so, he proposes at the beginning there of chapter 14, actually in verse 12, where he proposes to Moses and says, I want you to say this to the people that I'm going to destroy them. In our NIV, it says plague, and one of the other translations says pestilence. The commentary says that pestilence is worse than a plague because it means everybody gets wiped out. And then he says, not only will I wipe them out, but that in that sense, he would no longer want to be in covenant relationship with them, that it meant that he would disown them, or one translation said, dispossess them. And we know that that's true because then he says to Moses, I'd rather start over with you. Now, what you need to hear, you guys, (laughs) if you are a parent, you realize there comes a moment when it's like enough is enough. And in this case, it's looking at God from below, from our point of view, from using language and idea that we would understand. But essentially, God said, you know, enough is enough. And for your disloyalty to my love and to all my work for you and my faithful covenant with you and my unfailing love for you and, and loyalty to you that you treat me like this, the, the deserved consequence would in fact been to have given them pestilence, to have wiped them out and disowned them. He would have been totally within his right to start over with Moses. And yet what's amazing is that Moses, in verse 18, says back to the Lord what he had said to him back there in Exodus when he passed by him. He says, Lord, he says, remember, you're slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet you do not leave the guilty unpunished. I get that. You punish the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. But then he says, in accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. Notice that Moses says, I get it, and you would be within your right to do so. But remember your great love. Remember your mercy and forgive them. But here's the amazing response of God. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them, as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory in the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who's treated me with contempt will ever see it. But then later in verse 31, he says, As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them into enjoy the land you have rejected. You have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness, and your children will will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. Do you understand the Lord said, I have forgiven them, meaning that he didn't wipe out and he didn't disown, he didn't dispossess, he didn't break covenant with them. And amazingly, he even 
not only doesn't just wipe them out, but he allows them to live for how many years, over 40 years. He allows them to still live. Ultimately, his punishment is that they're not going to see the land, which remarkably is to even consider the fact that Moses didn't get to see the land. But he promises the children will see it. They will be blessed. But he says, you know what? The tough part is, is that because of your sin, the kids will experience some consequence, not necessarily punishment, but the natural consequence to your sin is that they're going to suffer out here too. And they're going to have to wander with you before they finally get to see it. And I think why that's important is because in another wonderful chapter, Ezekiel 18, but I want to highlight a couple of verses. Hear me carefully. In Ezekiel 18:20, God says, The one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. Then in verses 30 to 32, he says, Therefore, you Israelites, I will judge each of you according to your own ways. Repent. Turn away from all your offenses. Then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, people of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent and live, he says. Did you hear that? I take no pleasure in the death of anyone. Repent, turn, live. Remember Peter says in 2 Peter 3, he says that God desires that none should perish. None should perish. John 3.16, God so loved the world that those who would believe him would not perish. God's heart is that the punishment, the consequence would never have to be meted out. What he aches for is that each of us would repent, that we would say we're sorry, that we would come back into the way of loving and being loved. That's what he aches for. That's what he longs for. And in fact, then, he really does forgive and show mercy and love to those who, in what's interesting is in the story we find, at least in the preparation this week, maybe if I read some more, I, I might be wrong in this, but the fact that you don't find the Israelites repenting. The main thing is, is God is faithful to his love, to his mercy, to his character, where he does forgive them. He doesn't wipe them out. He doesn't dispossess them, but he does mete out consequence because the next generation, those kids suffering out there in the wilderness, that they would learn non-love harm is not okay. Harming God or harming one another is not okay with the Lord. But amazingly, it says 10 times, and if that means dozens and dozens, is that God didn't just all of a sudden, like sometimes we do, and we lose control and one offense and we're ready to wipe them out. Is the fact that God was unbelievably slow to anger, unbelievably forbearing and patient before he finally meted out that consequence. And the kids did not experience that ultimate consequence. They did not die in the wilderness. They got to see the land and the inheritance. So whatever that phrase exactly means, all I know is that in Numbers 14, we find out of what it really looks like, that it's more about consequence. And especially in Ezekiel 18, we find out that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, that he wants the wicked to repent 
He wants them to live. He wants them to have a new heart and a new spirit and to come back into loving relationship with him and one another because that leads to peace and joy. I hope that helps. It certainly helped me because that was a troubling phrase. And I hope most of all that you recognize that these words like punish or consequence are a part of love. They're important to love because somehow, some way, wickedness needs to stop. It's not okay for non-love and for harm to go on and on. God would not be loving of himself or us if he allowed it to just go on and on and on without consequence. He cares about love too much to let it continue. So, Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of our hearts that you do forgive. And that sometimes, even in your mercy, you mete out consequence that it might cause us to turn and to repent and live. That It breaks your heart to see it have to happen, but love is too important to let non-love and harm to continue to take place. Thank you that you forgive, that you are abounding in love and faithfulness. Thank you that you maintain love to thousands and forgive wickedness, rebellion, and sin. God, we're so grateful. Thank you again for the awesome revelation of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.